and welcome to the MacGyver Report, Wisconsin This Week, or in the case of this very special year-end edition, Wisconsin This Year. Whether it's interviewing the newsmakers of the day, reporting on the truly important stories that you just won't see in the mainstream media, or bringing you the latest cloak-and-dagger capital intrigue, the MacGyver Report is here to keep you up to speed on all things Wisconsin in 2017. From our palatial offices right here on Madison's Capitol Square, we bring you the stories that really matter to you, the taxpayer, and give you our incredibly expert analysis and unfaltering insight that you can only get, or so we hope, from Team MacGyver. And now, fueled by gallons of very affordably priced 0% Colombian Hills Brothers <laughs> coffee, brewed in a French press made from a 55-gallon <laughs> drum, I am Matt Kittle, investigative reporter. And I am Bill Osmolsky, MacGyver News Director, and I just finished my last cup of coffee, so I can't believe we drained all that. Mm, well, <laughs> I can tell you what, we're going to have to take a few breaks during the podcast, it would seem to me. That is possible. Um, going around the horn, we have our regular MacGyver crew with us. Ola Lasowski, Research Associate and Education Analyst. Chris Rochester, Communications Director. And we have a very special guest with us today. Very special. Head Fre intern. Fresh Tyler graduate. Brown. Fresh graduate. Uh -huh. Thank you for having me. You guys Look how world, here he comes. Head, head, head. Sleeping on your couch. <laughs> head intern, too. He's kind of humble today. Usually it's intern extraordinaire. Oh, yeah. yes. It changes. Intern, intern Esquire, I believe, is how he puts it on his business yeah, card. Yeah, I was going to say, it? his business cards are pretty long, too, right. with all the titles he's given himself. Tyler Brandt, of course, and we, you know, we, we give him a hard time because well frankly it's so easy but he uh, has been, you know he's been he's been an exceptional employee at MacGyver he's going on to uh, some other career pursuits now that he's graduated in the realm of politics at University of Wisconsin Madison first and foremost let me be the first to say congratulations and let me be the second to tell you that you're somebody else's problem now. <laughs> Thank you, I guess. I think that was a compliment. It really, there was some, somewhere in there. It's okay. a kettle compliment. It's yeah. a special brand. All right, to get this train back on track, mm -hmm. we're going to talk about uh, tax reform, which is the biggest story of last week, and probably be uh, one of the bigger stories of this week, too. Big, one of the biggest stories of the year, and I think moving forward, it could be a very big, uh, resonating story, obviously. Well, to reiterate, one of the bigger talking points about this, it is the first major tax reform in over 30 years. So uh, up to this point, the House of Representatives has passed a tax reform bill, the Senate has passed theirs, and then it went to conference committees so that they could kind of... Uh, compromise and figure out a final product which will then be voted on this week. In fact, the Senate is uh, expected to vote on Tuesday and the House of Representatives shortly after that. Interesting all of the wheeling and dealing, of course, that went on behind the scenes to get here. Um, you have some some big-time winners, and this is just in the whole you know, legislation battle. You have folks like Lisa Murkowski, who's going to get the drill baby drill, you know? Yeah, and I, I And I think we're all going to benefit from that particular policy measure. But that's what she was looking for. And how you were able to get the arm twisting of some real moderates out of, uh, out of uh, Maine, in particular in Susan Collins, is, is amazing. But that's the, you know, that's the, pro that's the sausage. That's well, how it's made. And it's interesting to see, like, after all the compromising, how these bold reforms might seem a little bit less bold mm. as, uh, as we look at the final product. Now, 
the bill itself is over 500 pages long so and try to read it yeah <laughs> try to read it without a law degree and a staff to help you cross-reference everything what do you think will, 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 will it be as, as interesting as the fifth uh the fifth installment of uh the harry potter uh <laughs> series few things can be i'll mm. say that matt few things can be okay to, to run through some of the highlights of the bill first of all uh, Speaker Paul Ryan, his office says that this uh, law change will result in an average of $2,000 saving per family. So that's no chump change. No, that's, that's significant. Good. Mm -hmm. And that's going to come mostly because they've doubled the standard deduction, which we've talked about since the start of this process. So that's, that's pretty much has not changed. So it's going to be $13,000 for individuals, $24,000 for married couples. Now, the big thing, the big change from our current tax law to what will soon be our new tax system is they are getting rid of the personal exemption. By doing that, it will be a lot less. Uh, there'll be a lot less incentive for people to itemize deductions when they're doing their taxes. That means that your tax return will be much simpler. In fact, it might even fit on a postcard. Mm -hmm. But still within the tax uh, code, you're going to see a lot of a lot of similar things. Just tweaked a little bit. Um, child tax credit still there. It's going to be two thousand dollars. That's what it took to get Senator Marco Rubio on board. Right. Um, the uh, state and local tax deduction that was a really big issue throughout this. It's going to be. Uh, they didn't get rid of it after the compromise. It's going to be ten thousand uh, dollars standard uh, deduction for assault. Um, the corporate tax rate. Now this is one of those interesting ones with how um, how compromises go. The House approved a 20% corporate tax rate. The Senate approved a 20% corporate tax rate. The compromise is a 21% corporate tax rate. So, well, it's 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 like the old song used to say, uh, "Give a little bit," and I suppose that's a little bit in the whole grand scheme of things, right? Well, said. yeah. Well, if I can quote Super Tramp, you know I'm going to take that opportunity. Now, another big issue that got that made a lot of noise on social media was. Uh, Grad students who um, are TAs, a lot of them get their tuition waived by the universities. Um, under the original proposal, they were going to have to pay taxes on that. That was going to be considered a benefit. Um, it will no longer be considered a benefit, so that'll be non-taxable. Yeah, well, such is mm -hmm. life in the tax uh, reform uh, fast lane, I suppose. But Chris, this is the there's been a lot of debate and of course the democrats and the left have gone hyperbolic about this but at the end of the day um, this is not a perfect bill by any stretch of the imagination but it does one thing that has to be done it cuts the tax rate for a lot of people out there and a lot of hard-working people and ultimately at the end of the day this is not the tax reform package where people will die, as has been expressed throughout this process by the left. Uh, if, if people will die is code for people will get to, to keep more of their money, then this tax reform package accomplishes a great deal. Well, it is amazing that the idea of letting people keep more of the money that they earned and worked very hard to earn is somehow can equate to wanting people dead. I mean, it's just, it's insanity that the state of our political discourse, here's a, here's a study that MacGyver released last week that shows what the actual impact is. And it's not more people in graveyards, it's more money in people's pockets. 
the study found that just in 2018 alone, and a lot of this, a lot of this has to do with the uh, re-importing of the money that a lot of these companies have stashed overseas, that in Wisconsin alone, just in 2018, 65,000 jobs could be created by tax reform and wages. This is what's really important because not only are people saving money is the in, on their income tax receipts, but the impact on wages. So in Wisconsin alone in 2018, we could see a $2.5 billion increase in total wages, which is very good for the average, the average person. Yeah, how many people do we have day. working in Wisconsin? Well, I mean, <laughs> and, and being able to take home more money, not just by having your tax rate lowered, but by having more money infused in the, in the economy. That's the bigger question. $2.5 billion collectively, when you look at that, and how many people are in the workforce, yes, I get the point that it only may amount to so many dollars, but you put that money, you put 20% of $2.5 billion back in the economy, 30%, you're talking about unleashing economic growth that, as this report found, could drive up Wisconsin's economic output by what? Close to a full percentage point, three quarters of a percentage point? Uh, doesn't sound like a lot just based on those kinds of numbers, but you put that input into the, the marketplace, into the economy, that, that's more hiring, wages going up, uh, more economic growth in particular. Well, one of the things I think some of these static reports, uh, the, the numbers you hear from the CBO and all this, um, it ignores the compounding effect of policies that grow the economy at a faster rate. Mm -hmm. Einstein's the one who said, the most powerful force in the universe is compound interest. So when you grow the economy, even if it's not by a gigantic amount, that snowballs over time. And Einstein also said it's all a matter of relativity, and if you have a liberal for a relative, I, I, pity, <laughs> I pity you. Yeah. All right, so unfortunately, the tax bill isn't all rose, rosy, sunshine, rainbows. Um, but it is magically delicious. Yes. The, the, the McIver Institute has been an advocate of a simpler, flatter tax code. In fact, Ola, you, you helped prepare our, our plan for a flat tax here in Wisconsin. That's right. One of the first, very first things we published this year, uh, January 2017, feels uh, so long ago at this point. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> well, this, this uh, tax reform from Washington, um, we currently have seven income tax brackets. And after these reforms are put into place, we will have seven income tax brackets. How about that for reform? Huh? <laughs> so <laughs> not exactly flatter, but right. But those rates are lower, and most importantly, it will one the rates are lower. That has for us always been the most important walking away point. We've got to lower the tax rates in this country. The second is that we have got to cut out some of these carve outs, some of these loopholes, and clean this thing up. Now, what I will say. This bill is not perfect. Uh, you know, I would have loved to have seen when they first originally came out uh, by proposing collapsing the seven brackets to four. Man, that was exciting. And that would have been a really cool proposal to walk away with. It would have gotten us a lot further in the direction of a fairer, flatter uh, a tax code. But ultimately, guys, you know, this moves the needle in the right direction. The more people choosing the standard deduction over itemizing, the better. Uh, that's going to lower costs on both ends, both for the tax filer as well as on the administrative side for the government. And uh, more importantly, it incentivizes more people to use the less complex code. So that's going to mean a lot down the road. I know it's not the most exciting thing, the most exciting angle, but it is very impactful. 
That seems like a very rational line of thought. Chris, uh, you had some examples of some <laughs> not so rational uh, quotes about this. We're telephone. all gonna die! <laughs> uh, yeah, there was uh, quite a bit of, let's say, overheated and outrageously outraged liberal discourse on this topic. Was there a bit of hyperbole? There was a little bit of hyperbole uh, from some of the most prominent elected politicians on the left and their prognosticator friends. Um, if you go to our website, MacIverInstitute.com, you'll see a asteroid crashing into a planet, <laughs> animated picture, which pretty much pretty accurately describes the uh, the left's overheated uh, erudition about the topic of, of tax reform. That was one of their more level-headed uh, criticisms, though, too. Oh, they, they the, even the level-headed ones are pretty crooked. But uh, uh, I'll just—I won't read the whole list. You can read it for yourself. But one of my favorites is Michael Moore on Twitter, which is always the best place to express your eloquent thoughts, uh, especially if you're Michael Moore. You rarely have an eloquent thought. And generally tweeted out from a Shoney's restaurant. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, Michael Moore said, the coup is underway. Make no mistake about it. Everybody off the bench. So this is a coup, apparently. Could, couldn't you people. be arrested for um, insurre inciting insurrection with something like that? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I don't want to sit on a bench next to Michael Moore. <laughs> right. That's, I think, the takeaway from this. If it's, if it's open air, maybe. But. <laughs> um, Jerry Brown had his own comments. This vote will live in infamy. It eviscerates the very last vestige of congressional integrity, something about destroying the once proud Republican Party like he cares about the Republican Party's pride. As one of the most liberal Democrats in America, I know that can be very important to Jerry Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Governor Moonbeam. Uh, Lacey Hannon, who is an actress, and we all know how smart and you know well-rounded on policy issues they are. An actress I've never heard of before. Never heard of <laughs> I, many of them I know. You found some of these bills, so I took you, took, yeah. took you at your word that she's actually a, a famous <laughs> there, person. There was a little check mark next to her twi Twitter name, so. <laughs> that's something. Well, yeah, that's, uh, that's, all, that's your badge of, you know, that means. Authenticity. Authenticity, it means you're qualified to weigh in, weigh in in whatever you want. And she said, the Senate just killed American families. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll just unfollow her. Let's see. Uh, Chauncey De Vega, who I admit I've never heard of before, but apparently this is a Salon.com writer, uh, said, This evil will kill people and increase human misery so the idle right and other plutocrats can have even more money. I see. So they're really trying to keep it down the middle <laughs> yes. when they're discussing the, the tax reform package. Do you think this per I don't I'm not I never heard of I don't know Chauncey? Chauncey. I'm not familiar with Chauncey's. Do you think work. Chauncey has a, a caricature of a conservative in mind, maybe a uh, handlebar mustache they're twirling and I don't know but oh, I, have a, I, have a, I have a I have a I have a caricature I have a caricature of Chauncey as a butler <laughs> for some reason I'm like, Chauncey bring me my papers please right exactly and uh, the the evil Republican uh, is using their their hundred dollar bills to inflict paper cuts on their mm -hmm. to, light, to light, light their cigars, cigars. Yeah. to light their cigars yeah that's what they do don't you that know club. that yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, a couple more that I really liked um, Nancy Pelosi said, it is the end of the world. The, the debate on healthcare is life and death. This is Armageddon. This is Armageddon. I, I have to jump in with my favorite Pelosi quote out of any of this. In fact, probably my favorite lie of 2017. Not gonna lie, <laughs> not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. Nancy Pelosi said that this is 
if it passes, this will be the worst bill Congress has ever passed. You think she skipped history? <laughs> this is a Congress that has also passed the Fugitive Slaves Act, yeah. the Chinese Exclusion Act, right. the Indian Removal Act. And Obamacare. <laughs> and they didn't even need to read it to do it. Obamacare, Public Law 503, Japanese internment, and yet cleaning up the code and lowering those rates, worst thing Congress could ever yeah, possibly no, do. Seriously, though, isn't isn't that a diminishing... I mean, nobody calls them out on their BS. Yeah. How diminishing is that? It's terrible. Yeah. It's horrifying. It really is. Well, it's let's not terrible. forget about the one, of the one of the worst policies ever passed by Congress, prohibition. Oh, God. <laughs> no, no, that worked out. <laughs> I just got one, I just got one, one more. Uh, well, you, if you want to read the full insane quote, go to, go to our website. But let's just say a guy named Bill Palmer from the Palmer Report said this was mass murder. And he probably said it with a straight face, too. This is, <laughs> this is not your father's left. <laughs> this is not John F. Kennedy. Oh. Democrats here. Well, yeah, there's always weirdness, of course, in the world of political hyperbole, and you expect that. Uh, it was an interesting year for hyperbole based on, as we take a look back, it's amazing to think we are on the precipice of 2018. We are almost done with a year as wacky and wild as 2017 is. And I think that we have forgotten a lot of the big headline stories of the year, I think there are some stories that will continue to resonate into 2018. Obviously, sexual misconduct in politics and in Hollywood and in journalism and just about everywhere, every, everywhere where the spotlight hit, you've got some. I mean, that was the thing, wasn't it? Uh, for so many months in, in 2017, you know, you saw, I'll give you an example. You saw uh, this week Keith. Richards, lead guitarist of the Rolling Stones, and when you go into your trending file, <laughs> where right, are going where you go into your trending file on Twitter and you see Keith Richards and you think, well, he's got to be either dead <laughs> or he's got to be involved in sexual misconduct, both things that I am convinced he has been involved in. <laughs> Uh, he turned 70. No, he was just turning 73 years old. This Phew. Week. Yeah, oh, so okay. there you die. But that's what we we kept seeing over and over again. Our, uh, you know, the, there would be something trending, and it would be, um, you know, it would be Matt Lauer. <laughs> well, huh. what happened to Matt Lauer? It would be Harvey uh, Weinstein. You know, it would be a politician. And and that that was a big story. But how it played out politically, of course, in the, the election of Roy Moore in Alabama and Al Franken and John Conyers, and it was just a remarkable year for that. And it was only about two months out of the year that it was going it on. It seems <laughs> like it's been going on forever, but you're absolutely right. That's that's how it was. But well, I mean, that, careers that, can you cram in? To, you know, ruined careers can you cram in in such a short time? I think we're going to find out because I don't. I, again, I think this is a story that is far from over. It may dwindle coming up in 2018 eventually, but this is still out there. But a lot of stories we just kind of forgot about that were so important, Bill. Well, I mean, and we brought this one up earlier when we were talking. Um, Peter Barca, Assembly Minority Leader, replaced yeah, by Gordo Hintz. Yeah, exactly. And that's the kind of partisan divide that we saw. You know, that was the big story, you're right, of 2017. I think overarchingly is we have, we've always had political partisanship, and it's gotten increasingly more bitter over the last several years. But man, 
You know, we, we haven't seen anything yet. When we hit 2017, the era of Trump, the era of the resistance movement, and you had all that playing out, and you saw, in particular, the right moving farther to the right and the left moving farther to the left, and that's what played out in Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, Peter Barca's, you know, cardinal sin was he supported Foxconn because it's going into his district, so right. he couldn't really vote against it. But a, a, a representative from Kenosha, where Foxconn would effectively be locating, and he voted for it, and it cost him his leadership position. That's where we're at right now because the Democrats are all in line. But not to mistake any of that, Foxconn was a pretty big deal altogether. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, people have been saying that it is going to transform the states. Not just southeastern Wisconsin, but you know, from Eau Claire, you have businesses in Eau Claire talking about how they're going to fit in that supply chain. So I mean, this is this is a Badger statewide uh, wide benefit. Yeah, you talk about a story that's going to resonate in 2018 as well. Foxconn will certainly do it. What about you, Chris? What do you think uh, were some of the big stories maybe that we still recall or maybe have totally forgotten? Well, when I look back on 2017, uh, you guys both touched on kind of what I'm thinking, but 2017 for me is the year where people had an insatiable appetite to knock over institutions. Mm -hmm. And we saw that going into the 2016 election. What bigger institution is there than the Clinton family on the Democratic left? Right. Bernie Sanders' campaign. And Donald the, the swamp. Drain the swamp, the mm -hmm. biggest biggest institution in, in American politics. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking about institutions, not just political organizations or you know organizations of other kind but people entertainers Harvey Weinstein was an institution in Hollywood he, no one's crying about him his career being over he's a he's a creep and he, he deserved to go um, universities are, are under fire from both sides and the institution of free speech there seems to be nothing sacred uh, the resistance trying to topple the Trump presidency and you know, you literally see it with these protesters at Berkeley trying to smash windows and set stuff on fire. They're just, 2017 was a year where uh, people, they reveled in seeing long-held institutions come toppling down or lose all credibility. I think that's good. That, that is definitely a good one. You know, speaking of uh, freedom of speech on campus, you know, Tyler, um, I've never been around you when you've been so quiet for so long. Apparently, I just need to stick a microphone in front of you months ago. But, I mean, th this topic is right up your alley. Yeah. I, I, would, I would think that he has something to say about this. <laughs> yeah, well, what Chris was talking about with Berkeley is so true. And the main thing that I've seen that's so upsetting is that the people who are leading the charge against the free speech movement, one, don't realize that free speech was super important to the Democratic Party back in the 1960s with the rise of civil rights and especially in the uh, in the gay community that was a huge part of them allowing them to express themselves and they were not allowed to publicly so they needed free speech to come forward and the worst part about this all is now they are openly rejecting an ideology which has pushed humanity forward and the leader of the Berkeley Antifa movement who organized an anti-free speech rally when he was questioned about what he thought about Milo and Ben Shapiro coming to campus he said they shouldn't the reporter asked him, like, why don't you think they should? They have a First Amendment right. This guy said, I don't believe in the Constitution. It doesn't apply to us, nor should it. And See, that's I, just... I, I think that you you make a very good point, but I, I would tweak that just a little bit from my point of view. My, my opinion on this and watching this on campuses and watching this whole issue 
explode is that the left cares very deeply about the First Amendment and free speech when it involves them. Yeah. When it involves conservative points of view, then it's either the alt-right, it's described as such, uh, it, is, it is shut down by uh, government officials, they want it shut down, they want the organizations disbanded, they don't have the right to be on the right. That is to say, yep. the line is free speech for me, but not thee, and I think that's really played out on college campuses where you went to school at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. We saw it at Stevens Point in a really um, bizarre turn on that whole left movement of trying to shut down speech. Yeah, and that's one of the main points Guy Benson talked about when he came here. It was just that it's an end of discussion. And you said it was right. The left does still need free speech only when it applies to them. But them shutting other groups down is just a way of having a monopoly on the argument. And that's the way they move their policy forward is by not allowing other opinions to be in the marketplace of ideas. Yeah. It doesn't speak too well to their confidence in their actual argument if they don't allow anybody else to make an ar argument that runs counter to what they're they Well, it's true. Say. Their arguments are terrible, as you pointed out in your Twitter. <laughs> it doesn't make any coherent sense from any logical perspective you approach it from. Well, it shouldn't be too surprising that uh, they're concerned about opening up the marketplace of ideas. This is the same organization, the same same group, if you will, that doesn't really care for free markets, so the free market of ideas may not apply either. And let's face it, um, there are lots of good debates and discussions to have from the left and the right, and we need to open up the doors to the left. I think they're well open, by the way. <laughs> but we also need to open up the doors to the right and really have those exchanges, the battlefield of ideas. That's Absolutely. what makes America truly great. And th there is one other really big news story of 2017 that we have to talk about even though we all want to forget about it and Harvey Weinstein helped us forget about it but the state budget that was oh no, no, that happened yeah, yeah. that was Hydra it was a monster what, what that's take? a like, trigger word yeah I know it took like 10 months you know from the time the governor delivered his budget proposal so it was a pretty big uh, pretty big story even though it feels like it was really a big story anywhere. we slept in this office people <laughs> that, I mean there were days where we were here until the very very week hours of the morning with committee meetings and transportation battles and what have you and yes uh, long after it was due the state passes a budget and I think that's another one of those issues that's going to resonate into 2018 obviously mm -hmm. there are going to be people campaigning on and against that budget I'm having a flashback to 2 p or 2 a.m. in the joint finance committee room and I think all the media had thrown in the towel, and the last person left was us and Gwen Gunther. <laughs> Good old Gwen. Okay, so now that we have spent a bit of time looking back at 2017, what was, what we all talked about, the issues that were on our minds, let's talk a little bit about underreported stories. Now, in our 24-7 constant news coverage world, it is amazing what still slips through the cracks. Uh, very frequently we see that some of the most important stories get the least amount of coverage. Now, I don't want to give away the entire piece, and I do hope that our listeners head over to our website, uh, MacGyverInstitute.com, to learn more. But right now we've got a piece up there going through the top 10 underreported stories of the year. Uh, starting off with number 10, most important story that got the least amount of mainstream media attention, this is one of those blink-and-you-miss-it type stories. School board members surviving the recall election over consolidation. 
in this case, a few board members had voted to consolidate their districts. This is uh, an issue that we're going to see around the state over and over and over as many school districts are faced with declining enrollments. They're going to have to take these tough votes. Uh, certain community members weren't exactly thrilled about that vote, tried to launch, or did launch a recall election uh, against them, and they won. So, yeah, this, Bill, you covered this Yeah, story. I, I love this story, um, not only because, you know, I was, I think, the only person that actually found this story, but yeah. it, it does have huge implications throughout the state. I mean, a lot of these school districts are facing declining enrollments, which means declining funds. Imagine that you have fewer kids to educate and they give you fewer, less money to do How it. How about that? I, yeah. I know. And shared <laughs> revenue, that's amazing. No, you should get more money for fewer kids. But, no, this, yeah. this is a... This is a this is a situation that so many districts around the state are facing, and it's becoming more and more of a, uh, their only option is to start considering consolidation with neighboring school districts. And when I talked to the school board members that you know took this vote, I mean, they were unapologetic about it. They said, hey, we when we ran in our election, we said, hey, you vote for us, we're gonna consolidate the school district, because right. that's, that's the only option we have left. They did it. And they were saying that they were getting calls from superintendents around the uh, around the state, school board members from around the state, who were very interested in how this develops because they're going to be facing situations in their districts very soon. But you led the coverage on this, and I didn't see other stories elsewhere on it. And you're right, this this is going to be a huge issue moving forward. Yeah. This this could really set the standard moving ahead. Well, yeah, you know, absolutely will. And when it does become, you know, when the story does, you know start to play out in other districts around the state, everyone else is free to link to the McIver Institute news oh, story, you know, where we, we initiated the coverage. Sure. That's right. Next one, moving right along, number eight most underreported story. We have UW Platteville professor Sabina Burton in the fight of her life, appealing for her job in front of what has been called the kangaroo court. Our very own Matt Kittle has reported on that story for quite some time. Now, Matt, why do you think this story was so underreported? Well, in short, it's because I think that the mainstream media at large has stopped asking serious questions of government officials. In essence, they have stopped um, they have stopped being critical of what the government officials say. They right. just take that, that as gospel. Line. And that's exactly what we have in this UW Platteville story. It's very involved. I won't go into all the details now. Mm -hmm. You can certainly read the stories at MacGyverInstitute.com. But this is a woman who, who claims, and there's a good deal of evidence to back up what she's saying, she went through a lot of um, you know, intimidation and discrimination because she did the right thing in blowing the whistle on some bad actors at that's the right. university. And she's fighting for her job now. I just don't know if people were interested enough in going beyond what the government officials said and right. really start to take a look at the documents and the people and the stories behind it. That's right. A lot of coverage there, certainly underreported by everyone except us, I will say that. Uh, number six, last one I'll mention here. Uh, my personal favorite of the year, I think, the IRS finally paying up. Now, you may remember a few years back, Lois Lerner and the IRS were suspected of having targeted conservative organizations and actually using that all-powerful bureaucracy and 
administrative state to hold up their tax statuses and stop them from operating legally. Now, what you may not have heard was that this year that case was finally closed. And what when those organizations said they were targeted unfairly, they were right. They were right to the tune of a seven-figure payout from the IRS. Plenty more to go through. Read more at our website, and I will pass the uh, mic to my colleague. Well, I got to tell you, first of all, though, I'm very excited. Uh, we find out after all of this went down that Lois Lerner, uh, her new Christmas album is coming out, which will Yeehaw. be just tremendous. And I don't know if the IRS will be auditing the proceeds of that. But <laughs> that we'll, we'll have to see. But I'm really looking forward to. Uh, Lois Lerner, special Christmas. <laughs> I just want to add in, you know, I mean, you, you talk about, uh, I, I am looking forward to this this album, by the way, but you, you, you mentioned the media is not being all that critical of at least some, you know, maybe ideologically aligned people in government. And this is just one story on the underreported list that is the weaponization of government agencies that did not get the proper coverage from the media. So you should definitely read the list, but you make a very good point in the many in the media not asking critical questions right. of, of people in government who do things like what Lerner and her, her IRS did. That's right. Now we've talked about the top news stories of the year. We've talked about the top news stories that nobody talked about this year. <laughs> and to go, in, to go into uh, uh, false narratives a little bit. We've also got a list of the top lies of 2017, and um, it was tough to keep it to just 10. <laughs> oh my gosh, this you talk about a struggle. Uh, how do you whittle down the myriad lies that were told this year uh, in, in public policy and politics and, and by players in the, the mainstream media? Well, we, we literally get paid to keep up with current issues and to sift through, you know, the, the blizzard of, of claims, and I've taken to calling them LEDs, lies, exaggerations, and distortions about virtually every issue. Uh, That's exactly how I feel about those LED light bulbs, too. <laughs> <laughs> you have a couple burnout did you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, they look cool, Phil. And we've had a couple of these folks involved in LEDs burnout, too, by the way. Uh, well, one, well, you know, keep an eye on the MacGyver website, MacGyverInstitute.com, for the full story on Wednesday. But one of the one of the lies, Obama taking credit for the growing economy. Yeah. So he spent Whoa. the first that several, was a beauty. He spent eight years blaming Bush for all of his problems, and then now uh, he's out of office. The complete opposite governing philosophies in place with President Trump. You know, not making an enemy out of business and. and drastically dialing back, I think, uh, delaying or repealing 1,500 regulations so far. Um, and Obama's taking credit for the economy well, growing No, he's, he's right, though. Guys, he's, he's right. Obama can take credit for the boom in the economy. As soon as he left the White House, the economy started booming. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. Uh, I, looked up some, I looked up some numbers, and right now it, it's hard to really make any – long-term judgments, I'll, I'll admit that. But the economy is growing at 3% or greater under Trump for uh, the past couple quarters. Um, and that's, an, that's by quarter, that's annualized. But under Obama, who's been out of office long enough now, we can look back, his economy on a 
annual basis never grew more than two, more than three percent per year. And I would, I, can I point this out too? And Ola, I'm, I'm curious what you have to think about this. Some of this is just per perception, right? Right. Congress hasn't been able to do a whole lot. Trump has done some things, like you mentioned, uh, getting regulation off the backs of business. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I think it's more perception at this point. We'll have to wait and see what Congress can actually accomplish. But so far, it's, this economy has been, I think, in many ways, firing up because of the promise of tax cuts, That's of right. the promise of an executive who means business. Right. Do, you, do you see that as a kind of a, a, a perception issue? And eventually we can see some real policy issues play in here. Listen, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that reading. You know, the nothing exists in a vacuum and uh, hopes for the future matter a lot. And they certainly matter for companies like Foxconn, for example, or other massive corporations who might want to spend a decent chunk of change. You're going to care about those rates. You're going to care about the atmosphere. You're going to care about how you get treated as a job creator. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a really fair reading. Of the and on that point, let me ask someone, and, and, and Tyler, you are fresh into the working world. <laughs> Look out, working world. But <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, I mean, as, as a fresh graduate of the university system, uh, how do you feel today compared to what you felt a, a year or two ago as a, you know, a junior or a sophomore in college? Now you are there. Goodness. Um, it's difficult to say because my personal opinion is that college is a huge waste of money and the things <laughs> the things you remember learn, he just graduated so he can say that now. The things you learn all aren't all that important towards getting a job and college doesn't cultivate necessary working skills. It in my opinion it's just a way to signal people with a piece of paper so you can get a job. Right. So my perspective I've I don't know through the power of listening to people's arguments and understanding logic. I took a couple logic classes. I think I think a bit clearly more now that, than I did when I started college, but anything else, I think it's just a huge waste of time and I'm happy to be out. For me, Somehow. college was one giant remediation from, from my high school. And um, I survived the indoctrination too, somehow, some way. Something, something tells me though that the feeling is mutual at the university. <laughs> yeah. they, they don't have that annoying libertarian challenging them anymore. Yeah, exactly. They're happy I'm out. Professors are are just gleeful that we'll be in the faculty lounge as we speak. Yeah. Uh, more, more, more lies of the year. Uh, we should go through these rather quickly, I think. But the fake news frenzy surrounding Foxconn. I got four F words in there and didn't swear once. Excellent. Um, we all remember the the lies. The, it's going to cost a million dollars per job, which was debunked. The, 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 all the jobs are going to foreign workers. It's a giveaway to a foreign corporation. You know, sprinkling some xenophobia in there. Yeah. Um, you could spend the money on growing government instead, you know, more government programs, even though the money doesn't really exist. It's a chicken or the egg argument with, with Foxconn and the right. tax incentives. Uh, let's not forget the biggest lie of them all. Foxconn's never going to happen. <laughs> well, you know, we're going to be yeah. looking at a groundbreaking sometime next year, so that didn't Job really work out. Job postings are already up too, right? Yeah, and I see that mm -hmm. Governor Walker just uh, signed legislation that's going to bring in a pretty massive highway into that <laughs> yeah, region. They're, they're so. going to build a highway. Seems so. like it's happening. It, it would seem. Right. Events would Could suggest be wrong, it's just, happening. Just, just wait and see, you know? Yeah, just <laughs> wait and see. Just, you just wait and they're see. They're going to pull out. They're right. going to pull out. <laughs> the uh, oh, the, the um, 
people will die arguments. We can't have a list about lies in 2017 without the ridiculous people will die. Obamacare is where it started. And in a way, they talk about Foxconn and the, some of the issues they have with people in China at that plant uh, committing oh, yeah. suicide, right. which is an entirely different uh, discussion. But, I mean, this people will die has been permeating politics for a long time. We remember the Paul Ryan Graham over the cliff ad, and it continued <laughs> continued this year. Um, it's really why I can't listen to Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer to this day. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, check us out, like I said, MacGyverInstitute.com for our number one biggest whopper of the year for 2017. All right, well, we were talking about the year that was and the year that we think it will be and wait for those predictions. They're coming. They're coming. <laughs> they're scary, and they're coming. But before we do that, the big story toward the end of this year um, is a story that played out in years past. and It's back again, and that, of course, is the John Doe investigation, the unconstitutional probe into dozens of conservative groups, scores of conservatives, the government basically operating a taxpayer-funded spy operation on political enemies. That's what a report from the Attorney General, Brad Schimmel, found. That bombshell report 90 pages is still being talked about nearly two weeks later and for good reason we discovered a lot of things from that report from that investigation but the first couple of days that this story broke and was being covered there was some well shall we say inaccurate reporting about this among leading the the top of the list if you will was some of the reports suggesting that there wouldn't be any charges coming from the Department of Justice because there was no wrongdoing. Brad Schimmel joined us, MacGyver Institute, on WIBA and said that is definitively not the case. Yeah, I heard that on the news break uh, while I was waiting to be on. That, that, that's dead wrong. They, they didn't read the report uh, because we plainly that forth that, that crimes did occur and unfortunately the problem is because of the horrible terrible record keeping and security process at the TAB we just can't say which one of them did it that's that's the piece you, you can you can meet the elements of the crime you still have to prove which who did it which one right and that's the challenge we face but there is no question there are a whole we, we identify in our report a whole string of different crimes that could potentially be charged if we could just identify who did it. One of the big things that I read in this report is something that didn't surprise me, but I mean, it's it's exasperating. It must be exasperating for uh, the DOJ agents who kept trying to get information, and you just kept getting the stonewalling and the feet dragging. I told you as, uh, in our conversation off the air that having covered this story, I saw that over and over again from the old Government Accountability Board. I saw tricks and delays and f- uh, foot dragging, and, and quite frankly, the same with the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office and the other officials involved in this. Explain how much stonewalling went on here, because... The report just goes into how many times you had to go back to get information. Well, just over and over again, we would get information. They would assert that this, well, this is it. This is all there was, which frankly should have been what happened when 
the special prosecutor turned everything over to the court back on November 3 of 2016. Mm-hmm. That should have been the end of it. But on, on February 1st, we had, we had a court order that gave us access to. I can appreciate that they had some reluctance as to whether legally they could let us look at GAV office files because there's supposed to be confidential information. They were concerned about confidentiality of people's private information. Not always. I'll get to that more. But, you know, we came in with a court order then on February 1st, and you, and this is it. This is all we've got. And it wasn't, because as we read those reports, we became convinced, now there's more. We know we're going to find more, and we did. And then they contacted us at one point in March, and they said, we found some boxes in the basement. They were, they were labeled Shane Falk, and they were plainly, something they should have looked at and once you got inside it was it was plainly stuff that was part of the John Doe that should have been turned over and the more we the more we had read more documents the more we would know there's something else there we kept going back on May 2nd on May 23rd we eventually reached the point where in July we got a search warrant because we just weren't confident that they were making a competent and honest search of the of their own offices to make sure that that hard drive that's now still missing wasn't there. So we executed a search warrant. But then it was all the way into November we were finding more at, at the Milwaukee DA's office and at GAB. It just kept going, no, sorry, not at GAB, at the Milwaukee DA's office and on some of the online accounts that hadn't been shut down yet. And, of course, the story continued to expand, and we have a lot of resistance coming from those individuals who are named in Attorney General Schimmel's report, particularly the individuals who could face some repercussions because of this. One of the disputing and disputed comments made came from Shane Falk, who was a lead attorney at the old Government Accountability Board, a guy who has been shown to be extremely partisan in how he conducted the investigation, the guy who ended up Uh, Now we have a missing hard drive of John Doe documents that just suddenly disappeared as investigators started looking into the GAB's handling of the John Doe. But he made the audacious claim not long after this report came out that perhaps the boxes or the files labeled opposition research that the GAB controlled came from the Republicans that they spied on, the emails that they grabbed up unbeknownst to the Republicans they spied on. Attorney General Brad Schimmel joined us on WISN to talk about that. We do know that the opposition research folders were created on a GAB hard drive. Uh, your, your listeners probably all know that there's metadata. When you create something on a computer, there's there's data embedded behind that. It's not immediately visible, but you can look and see when documents are created, when they're modified. And we were able to look at the metadata and see it was created on April 10 of 2012. That postdates the documents and emails that were found within those folders. The opposition research folder was created on a GAB hard drive. And furthermore, it doesn't even make any sense to assert that the Republican operatives that they collected this from would collect opposition research files and then fill them with personal emails of other Republicans. That doesn't make any sense. So kind of like when a, uh, when a uh, guy scores on his own team. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much it. 
I mean, that, that's the sort of thing that we're getting, the preposterous stuff. And we're getting now from the administrators, the, the new boss, same as the old boss, the employees that transfer over from the Government Accountability Board into the State Elections Commission and the State Ethics Commission. And, you know, it is, quite frankly, rats scurrying on a sinking ship. That, that's what we have right now. They're mm -hmm. trying to defend themselves, cover their own you-know-whats, and really the, the startling information um, that we found in this report, and that has been reported in the past, I think sets a, you know, a different tone of how these things will be handled. Well, I think that's a wonderful way to wrap up 2017, and now looking forward to 2018, um, after our careful analysis and uh, predictive <laughs> modeling, yes. we've got a couple, uh, couple ideas of how 2018 might play out. Yeah, uh, modeling, that's, in, that's an interesting way to put it. Uh, I think, Bill, though, before we move on, we need to offer this disclaimer that uh, we preface our MacGyver report predictions by saying the thoughts about to be expressed the predictions about to be made are our own. They do not necessarily reflect the official predictions, thoughts, or beliefs of MacGyver, its management board or staff, but if we're wrong about any of them, we're told to expect immediate exile to a rocky, barren island populated only by clones of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Oh, let me go first. Let me oh. go first. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Walk the plank, baby. Crossing that one off. Crossing that one off. Oh, oh boy. All right, so I'm going to go way out on a limb here. Okay. President Trump. Yes. He is going to spend a great portion of next year on Twitter. Shocking. Mm. <laughs> on the campaign trail. Also shocking. So, something hey. something tells me you won't be bunking with Chuck and <laughs> with that prediction. And he'll also be implementing major reforms through executive order that nobody in the media, mainstream media, will be covering. Right. Yeah. And if if they do cover it, of course, it'll be the oppression of uh, the executive and all of the tyranny <laughs> of the Trump administration. Yeah. No, I I see that Trump. This is my prediction. Let me put on my. My soothsayer hat. Trump will invite political haters to the White House for a beer and then tweet out what a bunch of losers they are. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, it'll be more of the same. It's the battle that's going to be going on, and the and we've seen it in the mainstream media in general. They've decided that they're part of the resistance movement, and uh, that's how it's going to play out. And Trump is going to battle back. That's what he did in 2017. That's what he did on the campaign trail in 2016. That's what he will do in 2018. I think uh, economics-wise, we're going to see the economy continue to grow. Uh, Trump will get very little credit for it. In fact, I don't think it'll be really talked about that much in the media. Uh, I do think, though, that the media will remain obsessed with Russia, and that might fade into uh, the Me Too movement, which I think will become a political, uh, a political part of a political strategy by the do you think Russia will ever go away, though? Well, Russia's been around for many centuries. So <laughs> yeah, if I can jump in as the Polish person at the table, listen, y'all, Russia's never going away. <laughs> you know what I mean. You know what I mean. As soon as it's not politically expedient to keep using it, it'll quietly fade. The Russian collusion idea, which, of course, is, is really fell apart in the latter part of 2017, we know the partisanship of these players involved in the Mueller investigation. Uh, do they just so you're you're saying that eventually they just transition over to what they think is going to sell 
as you know Trump involved in all of this sexual misconduct stuff that's where they're going to go well it's uh it's not that the probe's going to necessarily shut down but every every BLS report under Obama we heard about it in the media and now we have 200 plus you know thousand jobs a month three percent economic growth don't hear a lot about it in fact all we really hear about is Russia 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 that's why I can't stand watching the news anymore it's the same stuff so it's a matter of what interests the media and if we have good economic news I don't think many of the media are really gonna put a lot of emphasis on it absolutely I think it's all about the media too and we can look at the legitimacy of the claims and the arguments towards collusion with Russia and most of them seem to be bunk but it doesn't seem to matter towards the Democrats and what we were talking about earlier is reality is something that <laughs> doesn't seem to matter to them and they just will make any politically expedient argument they can regardless of the facts and just try to sell it and if we look at it you know in my opinion I think Democrats are better at selling ideas right now than Republicans and that's apparent from what the media coverage has been. Now, Trump isn't going to be the only one who's going to make news. It's going to feel like that some days, and it certainly had in 2017. But there are going to be some other big issues here. Any other predictions from this table? Well, it is an election year. Mm-hmm. It's is it? It's a, it's a gubernatorial election year. Big word. Uh, yes, and I'm, I'm well. You, you didn't learn that at college. It's for apparently. Some college <laughs> apparently, it's yeah. with, with a B of all things. <laughs> that's right. So I, I'm actually going to go out on a limb here. Oh, again? A, re, a real limb. Okay. I'm, I'm going to say that, that Governor Walker is going to have a fairly easy re-election. I think um, things are going fairly, are fairly calm in Wisconsin right now. We've seen a lot of the unhinged uh, protesters on the left. They've started to thin out. Taxes are slowly coming down. There's more jobs. And as the world outside of Wisconsin looks to be more and more chaotic, People are going, aren't going to really want to invite that change in chaos here in Wisconsin. I, I, I think um, you know things are pretty calm and smooth here, and I think a lot of people are just going to want to kind of keep it that way, mm-hmm. especially I, when there's no really great alternative either. Uh, I, 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 would, I think you make a lot of good points. I think that uh, the Democrats are going to give it every shot they possibly can, and there's going to be a lot of money in here, not just for Walker, who, by the way, as, as you know, it is approaching 2018 election year, so he's going into complete election mode right now. Oh, absolutely. And he's going to be selling the budget that was passed. He's going to be selling Foxconn. I think Foxconn's going to play a big role yeah. in the 2018 election, but there's also a huge U.S. Senate race here. That's Here's right. my prediction, and I want to get, get uh, you folks to jump in, too. Tammy Baldwin, the incumbent Democrat U.S. Senator of the state of Wisconsin, will have a road to Damascus conversion. To free market beliefs, <laughs> declaring that the big government party is dead and buried, huh? I Anybody? Don't think so? No. no you think? Tell me, tell me how that island is. <laughs> Chuck and Nancy with Just the laughing face. Let's make some reservations. No, in all seriousness, uh, lots of money dumped in from the big national players for this key Senate race. Lots of dirt um, and lots of political ads. Not, not really far out on a limb there. Yeah. Well, well, man, I got another bombshell prediction okay. about Tammy Baldwin. Yes. And I want to preface this by saying I've been listening to a lot of Alex Jones. So oh, oh, I think Tammy Baldwin is going to take her human fate 
her human mask off and reveal no. that she is an elite lizard person. <laughs> a, has a globalist agenda on conquering the world. And that is the truth Alex Jones told me. <laughs> Wait, Alex but Jones told me. Yeah, how will this affect the election, though? It doesn't matter. <laughs> watch it unfold, Bill. Lizard people can win votes, too. The left is still going to vote for a lizard. I'm telling you. they got to vote you know, against a conservative, they're going to vote for a lizard. All right, so Tyler will be on the island. <laughs> I, think, I think the Baldwin race is going to be interesting. And um, obviously a huge dynamic will be who wins the Republican primary. Right. But, right. I mean, Senator Baldwin doesn't have the best record to run on. You know, last time it was, you know, an open seat. So, you know, and there was kind of like a, a blank slate coming in there. Now she, I mean, I don't know what she runs on. <laughs> Dropping the ball at the Toma VA. Ooh. Dropping the ball at the Toma VA. I mean, she, she, uh, she turned her back on Senator Franken. I mean, she could use that, but say if Leah Not Boogmere wins speaking. the primary, that's gonna, she's not going to really have keep, that keep, as an issue. Keep in mind on the politics of this thing, and you brought it up, Ola, and I think you, you, you underscored it here too, Bill, is that um, there's been a lot of revision. There's been a lot of revision history, yeah. revisionist history going on mm -hmm. with Tammy Baldwin, mm -hmm. like so many other uh, candidates on the left. Tammy Baldwin has increasingly voted for tax increase after tax increase. She's a supporter of that. She's a supporter of big government, more regulation. Uh, you know, that's the record that she's going to run on, but they're going, her, her team will turn it into victories for America. Right. And that's the sort of money, it's going to take a lot of money to make that message uh, that Tammy Baldwin represents a right. victory for America. Yeah. yeah, I just think that, you know, she is going to have to change direction very, you know, drastically depending on who wins that Republican primary. And, it's, it's going to be tough. Even if she could start her messaging right now, I think she's going to have a tough campaign. And I have no idea how's it, how it's going to go. I could easily fall either way. I think in view of the Alabama special Senate race, I think that the Republican primary is going to become a, in a and I don't think this is to the benefit of either candidate, it's going to be an establishment versus Bannonite election. And it's going to be viewed that way nationwide. Mm -hmm. And we've already seen a lot of national groups weighing in on that primary here in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's only going to accelerate. And by Bannonite, I don't mean a, a, some kind of religious sect. I mean people who uh, who think Steve Bannon is uh, some kind of effective kingmaker, which I think he believes himself to be. Well, just uh, whatever happens, there will be more uh, identity politics infused to it all, because that's where we're at today. Vote to go. Jumping in with one big uh, issue this past year, momentarily, and then it kind of went away for a little bit, unfortunately. Obamacare. What do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah, it's never going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I disagree with that. I think it will implode on its own. It's only a matter of when. And you I mean the exchanges, though. The, well, that's true. The law itself might live on, but in the individual market, there will be a, a point of reckoning, and whether that's in... 2018, when we find out what 2019 rates are going to be and the insurance coverage map, uh, this thing is going to collapse. And then the left has their answer, single-payer health care. Right. What's the rights answer going to be? When and, and perhaps by design, but Ola, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the push for repeal and replace that was right. such an abject failure from Republicans this right. year. Mm -hmm. yeah. If they get tax reform done, does that give them the momentum in 2018, even in an election year, to get rid of Obamacare? No. 
I don't think so. I All right, I'll preface this with uh, after election 2016, I promised myself that I would stop making political predictions forever. Yeah, and here you are. <laughs> here, here I you am. Are. So, so for the sake of the podcast, I'll throw my hat in the ring. And, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I don't think Obamacare is going anywhere. I mean, we've talked about this before. You can be a Republican, a, a, a conservative Republican, and have a lot of different views of what the government's role in healthcare should be. That's fine, that's fair. You can be, or you cannot be a Republican or a conservative Republican and not agree to lower tax rates and clean up the code. That is like step one, how to be a member of the GOP, want to clean up the code, okay? And so we've already, just the last couple of weeks, we have seen how far this bill has come from first starting out with breaking it down to four brackets, now we're back up at seven. Of course, you know, it's, you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, but man, I think just seeing how this banner issue has kind of turned around and the way they have weakened it uh, uh, through the weeks, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that fares well for uh, Obamacare. Uh, continuing to be the law of the land. Unfortunately, I think Chris is right. This thing's just going to implode on itself. We're going to see more and more insurers continue to drop out of the market. We're going to see that map of counties in America with a single insurer grow very sadly, very devastatingly, mm -hmm. uh, devastating for, for middle-class families in America. So, um, yeah, as, as far as taking legislative action on it, not in an election year, baby. Forget they your troubles. Come on, get happy. So, <laughs> as you can tell, the McIver Institute is going to be very busy in 2018 following all these big stories as they develop. And unfortunately, as we mentioned earlier, we will be doing it without our intern extraordinaire, Tyler Brandt. It's yeah. a terrible loss for you, isn't it? It certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we'll function uh, at he, this point. He's going to FBE. Foundation for Economic Education going to do a programs internship in somewhere where it's warm for most of the year. Yeah, so our gain is their loss. Um, <laughs> well, as if you're a Vicki McKenna <laughs> listener, you might be aware we're, we're hatching a plan to get him fired so he comes back. Oh, how far is this podcast going? Does this reach Georgia? <laughs> I'm, I'm banking on it not. It's yeah, out of the bag, so, though, on Vicki McKenna. Yeah, so I think it is. That's right. So anyway, until next year. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year from the staff here at the McIver Institute. Merry Christmas, all. And we made it through the whole thing without playing a cheesy Christmas song. Oh, thank goodness. Oh.